Tom Ficklin Show on WNHH LP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. How's it going, everyone? This is Don McCauley here again, stepping in for Tom. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity to host this amazing show and provide great content to the platform. Um, last time we were here, I think we did have a conversation about mental health. Um, I'm here with my colleague, uh, Frank Brady, uh, international extraordinaire poet, uh, social emotional welfare um guru and so what we want to do is recap an event that we just left from um i'm gonna give an opportunity to say what he wants to say so we can kind of give a give a nice synopsis of what we're gonna do for today hey so we we had the opportunity to attend black enterprises black men excel summit and i believe this is the fifth or sixth annual one of the two right and what it was was a gathering of black men um across the country primarily in the corporate space um, to to talk about diversity, equity and inclusion, mental health, leadership development, um, financial development, but also how to ascend the C-suite corporate ladder, how to lead more effectively just in generally, not just in corporate as well, but across different sectors um, regarding just, you know, enhancing performance. I mean, it was a really diverse and like well executed, well put together conference so shout out to black enterprise and you know we we went out there for a special 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 opportunity which we're gonna get to towards um the, the latter part of this 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 podcast this this show well so i mean my colleague's leaving some things out right now um so we went out there um and we can tell how we got out there but this is a place that is home uh, for Frank um, for a couple of years now. Um, and he created an opportunity. Frank and his own personal self and personal belief is about developing these connections, using his network to also enhance the youth and also enhance professionals in different ways. And he brought the idea to me one day to come down to the conference. And I told him, told him adamantly, I said, if you want me to come here, I, I want to be on stage. Can that's the that's the best way for us to push the message, push the vision. Um, he used his contacts. Special thanks to him, um, Alfred Edmond, uh, VP of uh, Black Enterprise, who actually saw the vision, made the commitment, chose the opportunity, and we went down there and performed, not just performed, we actually implemented what we've been doing already in, in, the, in the city of New Haven and other places that we've been. And so we tackled the mental health portion, um, but there were so many important keys that I was able to experience um, in terms of seeing not just what the C-suites are, but many of the conversations about how do we think about social wellness? How do we think about our financial stability? Um, how do we galvanize our communities in social action? Um, ben Crump obviously is, was there uh, as an honoree, um, was an honoree. And one of the things that I was just saying in the beginning, as we get into it, excellent takeaways that New Haven is a well-recognized space and on the map. And many individuals that gave their testimony and stories about their space and opportunity, they have spent a good deal of time um, in the New England area. 
um, and a good deal of time in the New Haven area. And so obviously we have Ben Crump that's here, that's advocating very strongly um, for our brother, uh, Randy Cox, who was actually one of my classmates, um, which is duly unfortunate. And so that level of activism, that level of work, we see the same things in some of the uh, allies and some of the advocates that we have out here in the community today. Um, today, we'll obviously we'll do some highlighting of the specific conference, but we also want to get into a more deeper conversation about Black male mental health and, and actually how it exists and how we move forward and how we open the conversation up more broadly so that individuals can feel comfortable um, expressing their emotions, ex expressing their specific positionalities, and also um, our, our, youth, our youth space. I mean, things are happening right now in the community right now, um, and this is a call to action right now. Right, right, right. So let's let's get back. Let's 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 jump right into this. Right. Um, so the weekend, the experience. If I could encapsulate it into one word. I would definitely say dynamic. Um, I feel as if based on observing just these different black men across all these different industries and the, the leadership development opportunities, um, the level of execution that black enterprise put into the, the event was really just amazing. You know, again, it's like my fifth or sixth time going to this home event. I look forward to it every year. Um, there were certain highlights for me of the weekend that I feel like were just, I won't say once in a lifetime, but they were definitely those, those pivotal moments, those things that you, you, you want to, those, mom, those moments and memories that you want to be there to experience live and in person. And the beautiful thing about this was, let's, let's start off, right? The first night, that we got there, first day I should say, right, that we got there. Um, there were these different panels that started. Um, one of my brothers in this work, um, Jay Barnett, had an amazing, amazing, amazing panel based on Black male mental health, which I think was really great. It was an author's roundtable himself and Sean Dove. Sean Dove is the CEO for the Corporation for Black Male Achievement. Jay launched a tour across the country called the Just Heal Bro Tour, um, which goes across the country to different cities and states bringing black men together to heal, um, to be able to be in safe spaces, you know, so encouraging his healing. So they did an author round table. And from what I heard, that was amazing. I wasn't there to see that piece. How will we take thoughts from that? Jay's phenomenal. Uh, I think as a clinician, as a social worker, as an, as an author, um, he tells his, very transparent story about his experience as a professional athlete um, transitioning from athletics to the professional world and finding writing as an as a as an author um, catharsis. Uh, he, he talked about it as therapy, um, telling a specific story, uh, but being intimate. And I think this became important when you have a group of men in, in, the, in spaces of business um, telling their personal stories, allowing individuals to step into their personal lives. Um, to be transparent, uh, creating opportunities for other individuals to feel comfortable having dialogues about what their specific battles were. Um, there were there are many things. And, and Jay's piece um, in the tour, I think, as everybody should look it up, Jay Barnett, um, the Just Hill Bro Tour. Uh, we would love for it to come to Connecticut. I think it would be in Boston. I know it's in Norfolk, um, but that's just one space. 
um, uh, Jason Wilson's book, um, Cry Like a Man was, was definitely pivotal. So what became the kind of the thread through throughout the conference was the fact that even there are panels on financial literacy and equity and, and how to pay for college for your, for your student, for your, for your children. Everyone talked about how mental health was the essential suite and that's where success really lied in. And so making sure where our mentals were, how to, how to engage therapists, how to identify counselors, um, how to think for ourselves and be reflective. How do we create these peer groups? How do we have barbershop conversations that are meaningful, that um, don't continue to reiterate stereotypes um, or personalities that, we, that are not really accurate? We, we kind of describe that in a, in a counseling space, in a therapy space as, how does your representative show up versus this is your authentic self? And as we'll get into the conversation, how do we have conversation about allowing our authentic self to show up in the work that we do um, and also comfortable in the relationships that we have? Um, what are we fighting with? And what are we battling with? Mm-hmm. Um, and also just the coping mechanism. So I'm not a professional clinician. I'm, I'm more of a scholar. So my conversation would be about how did we get to this point um, of not being able to have the specific conferences? And, and also I want to back up to say, talk about not just how the male space, Black Enterprise created this specific conference as an as an offshoot or just seeing the success of women in power. And so everyone please go look that up. Women in power still supported through Black Enterprise, mm-hmm. but they saw the success. Yeah, the, of, the Woman of Power Summit. Woman yep. of Power Summit. And so that specific event sparked this larger interest about there was a there was a vacancy about the black men having those specific conferences and black men coming together across professional and across class. Um, everyone's not a, a high earner. Some individuals are learning what it, what it requires to be in those specific spaces. And so um, vulnerability across the table, how do we become vulnerable? Because I think individuals talked about the, the success of many of the women were about, they have spaces to have dialogue with themselves. And also, are we having healthy dialogue? And the male space that we've seen do not include those specific things. And so the conference definitely highlighted highlighted all these specific acts, um, attributes. Um, and so we want to kind of bring some of that conversation, um, um, bring some of that conversation back here mm-hmm. so that maybe this is a conference that we think about. That we want to bring things here. We want to think about as the Black Expo is coming up, how do we think about panels um, and things that want to support our, our local businesses, businesses that want to come in and also support our youth population that is thinking about becoming young entrepreneurs and how do we cultivate these specific capitals, uh, specific capital so that individuals can be supported in their own in, in, in endeavors. You know, and I think that, that that's a real great rap, like great, um, you know, um, rap to this, right? It's a real great um, perspective to what you, what you saw. And I, I like to add, and, you know, as well as the vulnerability piece, right, as well as, you know, how do we reach back and help the next generation? Um, I think one of the pieces that really got me was hearing from some of these folks that we call legends um, that we get hold high esteem to. So, you know, they had the XL Awards, right, which is sponsored by FedEx. And they honored a couple of different individuals. Um, I think Ronald Donald, who uh, is the head of Carnival Cruise Line. So, so the I think the awardees were Arnold Donald, yep. Kurt McDonald, Kurt McDonald, Ray yep. Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, Grant Hill, yes. and then 
Ben Crump. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, I, and they, 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 in the conversation, they brought their authentic selves. And, yes. and, I, and I say authentic selves when we talk about um, mental health in different spaces. You talk about high earners that had to experience their times at the Ritz Carlton in their black suits and their Sunday's best and experiencing the stereotyping um, and the, the, what would they call it more of a, a servant, servant moment. Like you do not belong in a specific spaces. And, and that was, that highlights, it highlights that money does not protect black males specifically mm-hmm. from um, specific positionalities, how white society views them mm-hmm. in specific spaces. And, and it's not just, and I will, as we get to it, it's not just about how we deal with trauma. Mm-hmm. It's that how do we encounter a space that does not always want us to be included and, and actually has a specific idea when we exist um, to be to be such, to be the bellhop, to be the security, to be someone that is not um, honored and recognized um, in spaces that that we that we completely I don't say only dominate, but we do dominate in certain ways. Right? Yeah, no, I, I think that, again, it shows the diversity of where we can show up at. Right. And I think you know, what the other piece, too, is that I want to draw attention to what I love about the Black Men Excel Summit is that there wasn't a lot of there wasn't really any pomp and circumstance. Right. It wasn't pomp, this pompous, um, classist view of I'm a VP, I'm a CEO, you're a bellhop. Right. You're a janitor. It was all no, you're a black man. You were valued. You love how you doing. Where you from? I saw a lot of that, which I think is pivotal. Right. When we when we take these titles off of us, we're human beings. Right. Um, and with all that we deal with as black men in the society, it's important for us to treat each other on a level playing, a level playing field, a level perception at all times. So, you know, I think what was great was to see um, a, uh, a Bob Johnson. Right. Who's a former CEO, founder of BET, interact with the wait staff, shake their hands and show love. Um, it was great to see, you know, a Grant Hill have conversations with the volunteers at the Black Enterprise Summit. You know, so just all of those pieces, I think, for me, ability because in that, regardless of what our professional exploits are, accolades with black men. Um, so I, I think that was that for me was, you know, um, it gave me a lot of joy. What would you say that there was the, the panel that resonated with you the most? Black male mental health panel. Say more. Um, I think that the black male mental health panel, it tackled black male mental health and how black men are leading the charge um, in that space from a multifaceted perspective. So when I say multifaceted, the panel was com- comprised of scholars, clinicians, and corporate executives. So that gives like a, a holistic view of mental health as a black man in the clinical space, as well as in the professional space and adding an academic perspective to it as well. You know, So when you look at it from that perspective, what you're getting is, and from my experience, what I saw, what the audience was getting was almost a masterclass led by a professor that facilitated a conversation with corporate, a corporate executive and two clinicians. And one of the clinicians was a marriage and family counselor. The other clinician also works as a school social worker. 
So when I say multifaceted 360, you know, holistic perspective, that's what I mean. You know, I think there are different voices that were at the table based on the experiences of those black men that were on the panel and the facilitator. So that that for me was really great. So as as the facilitator, I want to do justice um, to the panel. It was excellent. We had had uh, numerous meetings um, prior to our first visit, one to find find out commonality, hear people's personal stories, find, find out what were important topics, the things they want to bring out. And so to my colleague's point, it was an array in a very holistic way of approaching it. And they and again, Alfred did a great job of actually cultivating that specific talent. And so we have how black men understand themselves as in relationship. Um, that was uh, Chris A. Matthews, who uh, the author of uh, Fix My Relationship. Um, he's a licensed marriage counselor. He's also an approved uh, supervisor for those who are out there in Charlotte. He's probably one of the only therapists in a hundred mile radius that does that specific work. Um, there's another black man um, named um, Aaron Muller. Um, Aaron Muller is also important because I think one of the questions that sh showed up at the conference, uh, Aaron Muller uh, runs a uh, modified wellness. Um, and I think out of Queens, New York. Yeah. So it became important because one of the questions that showed up throughout the conference is, was how do I find a black therapist? How do I identify that person? And so for him, he created, he's the founder of the Black Therapist Network. And so if you can find it on Facebook, Instagram, Black Therapist Network, I think it's the Black Therapist for his personal page, but he has created the Black Therapist Network that becomes a resource and has been a huge offshoot um, for individuals that are trying to find counselors and other, other, other uh, individuals to connect with in their specific areas. And it has, has thrived where you have now subgroups that are in different parts of the country that have created their own Black therapist networks, but using the specific social media platform as a resource. Um, and then lastly, we had um, uh, Philip Palmer. Philip Palmer was, a, I think, a global manager for Bank of America. Yep. He spends most of his career in the C-suites or corporate space um, doing human resource, but having DNI conversations and, and having the conversation about how do Black men experience uh, equity and inclusion in the corporate space, um, but and in, in specifically counseling Black men how to operate in those specific spaces. And so to have that across the across the um, across the board across the table, it became extremely important because what we saw um, throughout that specific panel is we saw the interconnectedness of work, family, and self reflection, um, and how these relationships or how these specific spaces can highlight things that were problematic with self, things that could be problematic in relationships, and how individuals are specifically treated in the corporate environment that contributes to how they understand their mental health and understand their positionalities. And so um, out, of, out of those, I mean, I think, I think you've done all three of those things in, in your body of work. Mm -hmm. um, how do you speak to that? I, I think that they, they gave a lot of information. So those that have not watched it, we it's actually posted on the Black Enterprise page um, under Black Males Leading the Charge. Um, please watch it. Please follow back. If you, if you have any questions about finding counselors, please reach out to those individuals or you can send a message here um, where we can help and be a resource to you to kind of find what you're needing. But, mm -hmm. and you've doing that specific work. What were specific things? Because you were in front line when you watched it. Mm -hmm. And I, was, I thought it would be crazy if if they put you on that stage too, mm -hmm. I think I was like, what would what would you have added to that that conversation? So I think for me, man, I I'm a big advocate of mental health, not just being in the mind, 
but having a physical grounding in the body and the brain specifically. You know, I, I, I've done some studying of neurobiology, right? Which is, you know, how the brain works, how the brain functions, um, the, different, the different lobes of the brain, um, the prefrontal cortex, the frontal lobe where like we, we find our cognitive abilities in, our memories, our functions, our executive functions, you know, and so I would be adding, you know, that when it comes from a neurobiological standpoint, our brains, our bodies legitimately, um, our brains literally turn our bodies into either a pharmacy or a bar, right? And we even having, depending on, you know, how we interact with trauma, how we act, interact with experiences, we're either being impacted negatively or positively, right? Depending on what um, chemicals are released in the bloodstream, you know, from a neurobiological perspective, I would talk about how, you know, based on the four fear, the four stress responses, right? Fight, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, we react to our situations and our circumstances from those four different lenses based on either traumatic experiences or a need that arises for us to react to what the brain perceives as danger. So why does that tie into this mental health piece? Because as black men, we find ourselves reacting from a space of fight or flight, freeze or fall, but especially fight or flight. Um, in this society, at the workplace, you know, um, you know, with law enforcement, there are fear responses. And the thing with the fear responses is that our brains are wired to help us interact with and adapt to danger. So, you know, when you hear about a car accident and a mother having the strength to lift a car off of her child, and like, how does she do that? Well, she's in extreme flight, flight, fight or flight mode, fight mode, right? So now the adrenaline pumps through her body, the cortisol, which is known as like one of the, 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 the stress, um, the stress believed hormones, right? pumps through her body now, she's able to now do something incredible, right? Because when we're in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, what happens is we our brains revert to the reptilian part of our brains, right? Where it's what's called in our brains the amygdala. It's like an almond-shaped space at the, the, the base of our brainstem. And that now regulates the flow of chemicals throughout our bodies, right? So what is it like? There's a there's a couple of different chemicals that flow through our bodies when we're triggered. Cortisol. Cortisol. Uh, oxytocin, uh, um, cortisol, oxytocin. The other one is this one, dopamine, right? Um, serotonin, not serotonin. I can't remember the other one. I usually have it at the top, so, right? So, but, go ahead, go ahead. but these chemicals flow throughout our body, right? Our brains release them based on what stimulus is on front of us. So, as black men, we get a lot of cortisol released in our bloodstream. And that give that can complicate our heart, that can complicate our bodily functions, that can lead to stomach issues, right? Because the gut is the second brain. So we tie this together nice to a bow. What happens to us affects our mind, but within the mind, there's a physical manifestation of chemicals that are released in our body that can be healthy and unhealthy, right? From the if we ground this, right? You know, we have thoughts that are influenced. We have emotions that influence our thoughts that now influence our actions, right? So when we have an experience that triggers an emotion and that emotion is also connected to a chemical that flows through our body at the same time. So there is a bridge 
between the mind and the body. And I think that's the, the, the brain, the neural space. I would add to that. So, so, so I'll say this, and I think my colleague would, would agree. So one of the things that we, I thought was important as the moderator was to delineate the difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist. Um, and specifically the psychiatrist one providing maybe a substance um, or a drug to help with the chemical response. And so as my colleague gives the physiological response to how the body deals with stimulus, how, how certain um, things are secreted, um, how it impacts our organs, how it impacts our emotions, our digestive systems. These are the, the catastrophic things that we think about in terms of the mental health, not the, the actual physical health um, and how we experience trauma. So this is the hypertension, this is anxiety. Um, and these are all the things that also lead to the substance abuse mechanisms because the body becomes responsive and is looking for something to alleviate. I, I think it becomes important to talk about when we talk about the mental health, not just what happens on the internal, what happens on the, the external. And everyone from the conference did a good job of kind of honing in on mindset and how do we understand our mindset and experiencing. So we, we, we think about the full continuum to the point. Full continuum would be someone as a child seeing violence, experiencing forms of, we mentioned it, sexual violence, um, seeing violence in the neighborhood or normalizing violence in the neighborhood and they grow. And as they specifically grow, um, the specific traumas can impact one, the mental growth, cognitive ability, then able, the ability to relate and process the specific stimulus. Um, so now you're in this preteen, maybe high school space, things are still happening. Um, the body is still maturing, but the mentality and the ideas that now larger world, what comes in, how are you experiencing the world? How are you programmed? How are you getting messaging right. about who you're supposed to be? And these become very important environmental factors. So what are you seeing in your community? How do you identify with the things that you're seeing on the outside? How do you consider and consume social media? So social media may have a specific depiction about what black males are. Now, mm -hmm. the reality is that as individuals matriculate and become to the place of success that we talk about, not just high achieving corporate spaces, um, but the but sometimes the reasons for that specific success is to not fall into a stereotype. Right. And so then that relationship, because I think Tyron Howard talks about the oppositional relationship with black males, meaning that you do the opposite of what the stereotype is, but you still have not self-corrected or self-diagnosed or self-decided um, what specific masculinity, what specific maleness, what specific blackness that you want for yourself, because blackness is not monolithic. Right. And so I think that conversation did an excellent job of, and to your point, we didn't go into the physiology, but that those are health concerns because those health concerns go into how we think about mental health and individuals testified to talking about being misdiagnosed as a child. Yes. And then the, the catastrophic reality of being misdiagnosed as a child led into their self-esteem, their self-worth. They Weight were, gain. They had, they were, they were given specific supplements that, that produced the weight gain, they felt lethargic, and that specific episode made them get off the supplement. And so there was this, this transition process of like, how do I deal with it? And to be transparent and disclaimer to everyone that's watching, individuals have open conversation about um, suicidal ideations mm -hmm. um, that are that are that are the manifestation of triggers, yeah. and also spaces about not being able to regain or have clear conversations about self-worth, not knowing where their self-worth is, not having the conversation or like emotional stability 
um, or vulnerability to have the conversation because what was the barrier in front of them was potentially their maleness, which says we do not occupation, whether it be an athlete or someone that's in a service position, uh, police officer, firefighter, right. it, it blocked their ability to have the conversation because there were questions from the corporate space. I don't want to have this conversation because I don't want to lose my my job. I don't right. want to lose my pension. I don't want to see I want my to question my ability to do the work. Facts. I don't want my yeah my ability to do the work question, um, my capability put into question, you know, um, just like if I disclose this, will I still be here? Right. Or will you red flag me now and take me out of a position that feeds my family and takes care of myself? Right. So I think that that was the other piece. And then, you know, the stigma. Right. And because the, the reality is so many, so many of us black men function in these spaces, corporate spaces with different issues that impact our mental health. And we may not have the language or have had the exposure to therapy um, to unpack those and unpack how they show up. You know, one of, you know, we, we heard often there's a lot of anxiety that folks deal with as black and we deal with as black men. And we don't know how to put the language to what's happening in our bodies when our hearts are racing or we're, we're, we're very nervous. We just said, we just say we're nervous. So what does that lead to? Right. If you are, if you have a experience that you can't put words to, you can't describe, you can't adequately, you don't have the language for it. You know, you can't understand it. So whatever you can't understand, you you'll try and cope with. So I'm gonna ask you the question. I didn't ask you in the panel. I know we have a lot of time for it, but I'll ask the question. And, and what was it? How 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 do black men avoid the Will Smith? No, 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 no. We, we'll, no we'll get to, we'll get to that one. If those who watch it, you'll, you'll get that one. I need to screen record that. But the, the question would be, as we talk about, you talking about um, Black males being stigmatized. Yeah. You've worked in K-12, you've traveled this world, you've gone to Essence Festival, performed, and you've you've counseled and, and worked with folks in corporate spaces. Can you speak to the audience about what are some of the stig stig stigmas um, that are around the Black boy, the Black male, and the black male in the corporate space. Mm. Um, um, and then also the other stigma around fatherhood mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and fatherhood. Yeah, so I mean, I think stigmas around the black boy are from the K through 12 space, you know, that black boys suffer from attention, was it ADHD? Attention, attention deficit disorder. Yeah, they took the eight, they, did they take the H out? Or? Hyper, it was hyper, so it would be physical activity versus yeah. focus. Yeah, yeah, right, and that, that so many black boys suffer from that, that's why they can't sit still in the classroom, that's why they have um, behavioral issues, right, that black boys have explosive anger issues, right, those are stigmas. Um, you have to hyper-engage the black boy just through physical activity alone, in order to get them to pay attention, you know, um, they are those those stigmas are rooted and based in literally a lack of understanding of one cultural context that the black boy is coming from, two family, the home the black boy is coming from, three learning styles, right? So I debunked that often when I was in the school system. I would challenge educators, I would challenge administrators to think of this not from the perspective that you that you've been given by the system, but from the perspective of what how do learning styles show up, right? Like we are 
traditional education is almost exclusively an auditory space. Auditory is the way of delivery, right? One individual stands in front of a class and delivers information that now the students or the participants have to absorb, right? But when we look at learning styles, there's multiple different learning styles, right? The top three are auditory, visual, and um, tactile kinesthetic. Visual, what you see, um, kinesthetic, what you feel, and what you get into action on, right? And we are, even as human beings, we're not a one-size-fits-all um, experience when it comes to learning, right? But unfortunately, we, we do that in education. If you look at the 1920s to now, you look at a car in the 1920s and a car now, there's a lot of exchanges in advancement. If you look at a classroom from the 1920s to now, the, mod, the modulation of delivery still hasn't shifted as much on a broad scale, right? So I, I debunked that in, in that space, right? Um, when it comes to black males in general, you know, the stigma of that, we don't know how to open up. We don't know how to be vulnerable. We are hyper-masculine brutes almost, right? We, 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 we don't have emotion, we, have, we lack emotional intelligence. And I, and I debunked that by, we don't lack emotional intelligence. We're just not being spoken to in the right emotional language, right? And you think about how, when someone self-abandons, right? Especially as black men, we self-abandonment, right? And self-abandonment, I look at, and I, you know, help me with this definition. Self-abandonment is about, you know, um, suppressing or shutting down your emotions, right? Not talking about things, um, modeling things up, suppression, right? We self-abandon because the way we are expressing ourselves emotionally isn't being received and translated the right way, right? So what happens when you do that? And what happens when you're trying to express your pain, but your pain isn't being received? What do you do? You shut down. Because if I can, if I have to keep telling you that this is hurting me the way, and, I, and I'm struggling to say it in a way that you will hear it, that you will receive it, but you're not taking the time to understand what I'm saying and why I'm saying it, you're really more so focused on how you're receiving it, then that is what happens with a lot of black males, even black boys, why there's a lot of self-abandonment. So what happens when you self-abandon? You resort to survival mechanisms, ways of survival. So that may come off as anger, that may come off as silence, right? Because you're not receiving what I'm saying the way I'm saying it, right? So it's like, are you able to listen and understand me emotionally. That's really what it is. So it's not that we lack emotional intelligence. We have low emotional intelligence. No, there's just, we don't have, we don't receive the right um, space and who, who we are giving the space to may not have the emotional fluency to understand this. So, so to answer all of that, so how does that matriculate into when you become, a, now you become a black man, maybe you start to hit past puberty, how does that still, those consequences that are manifest after you talk about this abandonment, this rejection, what does that exist in the, in, as you become the black man and, and those specific stigmas? Well, as you become the black man, when you, 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 it's easy to fall into and play, not even play into those stigmas, but live into those stigmas. If you've been given a roadmap most of your life on how to respond, how to show up, now that roadmap becomes your survival guide at all times, you know? And I think that that's the problematic piece. 
So if you're living in this, you're living in survival, right? So what does survival look like? Survival looks like self-abandonment because I did this as a child because this is what that was done to me in the school system. This is what was prescribed to me. I did this as a child. So whatever I did in, 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 as a child in survival becomes a handicap in my adulthood, right? Because I'm not a child anymore. I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a grown man. But what I've been programmed to do as a child will follow me into manhood. So now the things I did like self-abandoning, the things I like I do like suppressing, you know, when I'm telling you I'm hurting, I'm now as a man, my responsibilities are now amplified and, and multiplied. So now I have children, you know, now I have a spouse, you know, I'm expected to protect and provide. Now, when I'm giving provision and protection, my needs are not the highlight. My needs are not the priority. My needs are not the focal point, right? At least that's what I'm programmed and, I, and, I, and what I'm given. So now if I'm hurting and I'm expressing that, that's not being heard. So let me, I'm gonna do, so I think, I think why it was important to ask the question about how black boys and black men are stigmatized um, because we see the perceptions of them, the stereotypes that they will become these things is, is well documented. We see the Central Park Seven. Um, we see, we, if those who've read the ISIS papers, Francis Chris Welsing's ideas of black masculinity, because we have to have clear and accurate conversation about the historical reference and context of how black men have existed in society and the societal death that they experience. Um, um, societal so, death. Societal death. And Can you so, break that down? So when we talk about societal death, I, I, I use that term and not broadly, but societal death is some of the things that we see, um, the mass incarceration where the internal imprisonment because it because pathology says that this is where they belong, or you actually see public the public lynchings, you see the public killings. It doesn't have to be, um, and I say in the social media space specifically, because we, we see the brutality on, on social media, we see it in our communities and with policing, but, there's an important factor that we see that folks don't take notice to. The new Immatil movie came out and actually there, there was a documentary on Hulu or I think on Netflix. But what we see is we see this, obviously this moment being, being the kickoff of the civil rights movement. But we also have to acknowledge that it's too common that we see black death on TV. So, and I, and I say black death and brutality where you see TV actually showing or dramatizing the actual killing, the lynching, the and, and, and no other group has this. No other group has these specific societal deaths. And I think to I think uh, uh, Steve Driven, who's doing a play right now, talking about the the, the cut of a thousand the, death, the death of a thousand cuts. Death of a thousand cuts is to see the reverberation of black death. And so we see the Michael Brown, the Trey, the Tremont, uh, the uh, uh, um, Tremont, Tremont, uh, Tremont, uh, Tremont, Martin. Tremont Martin, uh, George Floyd, and at Rashad Brooks, yeah. we see how it reverberates, not just from a from folks that are allies that see the work and are want to be allies, but what does it mean to see yourself um, and, and portions of yourself that could potentially be killed? And this goes back to pathologies. It's the, the systematic responses um, or intentional oppression for certain groups is about how do you patho pathologize a specific group? And so individuals are going to follow these specific paths. The brains are too small to understand their emotions. The emotions that they have um, do not account for their, their, their musculature. So there's mm -hmm. studies that come out saying that they were big and strong mm -hmm. 
and they had small brains, like the maladaptive response, yeah. or that their responses um, were their their bodies are abnormal, are abnormal. So these are superhumans or they're subhuman. Mm-hmm. So they're never giving a a, a simple a, a a a sample level of humanity, um, and that creates those those spaces and systems that talk about criminality. Who who is the criminal? What does what does crime look like? Who is who is the Willie Horton? Who is the black boogeyman? Um, what is white fear? Um, so black white silence or white rage or white fear um, is also in conjunction with specific pathologies that were created. So these specific ideas were not created by black society. And so when you have individuals that live in communities that maybe see these specific things and they're not as, the statistics aren't as high as folks suggest they are, but to see these moments, it's almost to your point, the fight or flight moment. Like, I don't wanna be that, but if it happens, what does that mean for me? Because we, we have to understand that in, in terms of criminology, there is white crime. Mm-hmm. But when we think about specific crime for black males and where it belongs, we see systems that have been put in place. We talk about pipeline to prison. Um, there's athletic spaces of the exploitation of the athlete. And then once you build them bigger and stronger, we have a separate space for them, which is which is prison. Mm-hmm. And so 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 how does that precipitate when individuals are trying to avoid being wrong or being misunderstood or not giving the second chance or opportunity? I mean, there's many examples in history, contemporary, that we can we can talk about, but that contributes to the mental um, stability of Black men because it's, it's not just a paranoia. It's the fact that you can see systematically that these things are happening. You openly know mm-hmm. that you're not going to give the fair chance. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it doesn't require Jane Elliott asking a question at a seminar to say, would you want to be Black? Mm-hmm. And the groups are, nah, I wouldn't want that because yeah. there is a difference of treatment that's there that the mental health of black males is not just situated around them not coping with themselves and having a conversation. Right. It also has to do with a society that has propagated their specific destruction. Mm-hmm. Demystifying the black male mental health has to start with having open conversations about what do systematic oppression or exactly. Tommy Curry says exactly black misandry. Tell the truth. Tell it raw and uncut. Tell the truth. Like, answer the questions honestly. Like, keep it a hundred. Let's let's really let's be honest about how these prisons are privatized corporations that are, you know, can be bought and have shares. And I believe even on stock market, right? Like, folks make money off of prisons that are disproportionately populated with black men. Mm-hmm. Right, like, you know, they, I, I believe what was the study? I, I believe it was thirteenth. Was it thirteenth? The thirteenth amendment um, that talks about um, building prisons by Ava Du Yeah, 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 building prisons based on third grade test scores. Black boys, like, yeah, you know, um, like, like, it's almost like like the system is doing what it is designed to do, right? And inherently in the fabric of our American system is literally practices that are misandrist, right? That's, that's, I can use yeah. that, that phrase, right? Now, that are literally misandrist, right? And Black men have had to live with that, deal with that, and survive through that. Hence why we live in 
survival mode. I think that becomes the hard portion of, of the, uh, I think Francis Cress Wilson said the, said the line of, um, you will be programmed to a point that you will become the victim of your own demise, meaning- Oh God, yeah. Meaning specifically that you will be blamed for, 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 for oppression that happens to you um, but the reality is like you, you, you will be blamed for oppression that happens to you. And what does that do to someone mentally when the very destruction I'm experiencing, I'm not partaking in, right? Because it's what I've been fed. We look at the, our, our communities, inner city communities, right? And how those are programmed and literally set up. You know, you look at the music and the culture that people complain about. Why is it so hyper-violent? Why is it this? Why is it that? Well, why are record companies and organizations investing so much money to sign an artist that talk about that content and not signing artists that talk about um, more positive content that talks about black joy, black liberation, black freedom? Like it's come, it's almost like stop the violence, but here's the gun to keep doing the violence. That's deep. Right? Like stop the violence, stop killing each other. But here, here are the guns to keep killing each other, right? Stop the violence, stop killing each other, but we only let you in the door if you're talking about the violence and killing each other. So that's right? a, so that, you, you, yeah. you're mentioning some important things that I think when we do the K to 12 space, and I will highlight some of the programs that we have mm-hmm. in New Haven that are actually mm-hmm. doing these specific things. Um, that when you ask um, young boys and young girls about like black, what is black culture? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to do things? And the, when you hear them say it, it, I don't know if they know that there's a form of hatred. That's there. So if you ask, I've been back students before, but what does it mean to be black? And they talk about not having grass, talk about um, poverty. They talk mm-hmm. about violence. They talk about guns. They talk Lived about experience. And, and, but many of the times in the situation, they're, they're telling, they're telling a reality that's not actually happening for them. So I say specifically, if I have to ask someone about their, what is black for them? the goal should be to move towards themselves. So if this child is middle class, Mm -hmm. but he's giving me stereotypes about what blackness is, he's not including himself Mm -hmm. in that dialogue versus someone else who actually is living it. And so that that, that pathology, that self-propagation will start Mm -hmm. to happen because I'm like, this is not what your existence is, Mm -hmm. but you're describing blackness as that, as if your success is other. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not part of you. And so I think mm-hmm. that becomes early conversations. And so I, I bring that up because mm-hmm. one of the segues in terms of um, debunking or demystifying specific things are the 100 Black Boys Conference that just happened at Southern. Mm-hmm. Um, Kermit Carolina was one, someone that was very supportive of that specific project right. um, at Southern and, and moving the needle um, in terms of that specific conversation. I think they mm-hmm. partnered up with, with Hamden, Hamden oh, Public Schools, schools. Yeah. Um, with uh, Mr. Highsmith, um, but these become the spaces. You have Ice to Beef, mm-hmm. having opening dialogues. Uh, Sean Reeves that are having opening dialogue about what does it mean for community violence, uh, um, little jihad. And so it has to be a space. And I'd say- Yeah, Jay, you know, the Jay Kemp's, the Kevin Muhammad's, um, sorry, Yanae Kemp, the Kevin Muhammad's, having those spaces on, you know, how is this, how are, how are these environmental and communal factors impacting us? as people, impacting black men as people. And I think that becomes important because when we went to the conference, the conference was really situated on how are black men regaining control of the conversation and championing the conversation about black boys and black male mental health. Mm-hmm. And you see proactive programs like that, that are in place mm-hmm. to say like, we need to have these dialogue. We obviously the thing got canceled, 
but what is the what is the crown conversation? What are the kings mm-hmm. of the crown conversation? Mm-hmm. But what does this mean? How do you bring spirituality into this? Mm-hmm. How does the church do have these conversations? The mm-hmm. clergy collectively having conversations about one therapy, um, but morality. Yeah. And, and then how do we find morality in the spaces that people we're working with? And so I think we see this collective effort happening. I think there's the more we can have this Yabutu, the more we can have this collective conversation about where do we go? Where do we partner? How do we collectively tackle these specific agendas? Because I think that there's different segments of society that have perceptions. And I don't think they know that they hold these 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 perceptions where right. there's a flattening of blackness and a yeah. rising of class. Ooh, it's so, a flattening of blackness and a rising of class. That is so real. And you know, you talk how psychologically damaging it is when your blackness is flattened, but your class based on class being elevated and what that does, right? It, it creates a distortion where you have to start to define space. Mm-hmm. What is space for you? Does space mean that you can own a home? Does space mean that you are going to be the father you want to be? Does space mean, does the, does, is the space given for you to be the father that you want to be? Right. Um, does the space give you the opportunity to be creative and that your, your, your academic mannerisms um, are supported in the way that you want to learn? Um, what does it mean to go into, if you need some assistance and have conversation, that you are not um, um, poorly subscribed or someone has a someone has a wrong interpretation of what your mannerisms are? So when you have this is the Boise moment, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be in the veil and what's happening behind the veil? Yeah. But you have to create, we have to have conversation about the construct in which you have to be two people at one time. Sometimes you have to be you have to be multi- boys talking about a double you, conscious. You have to be right? sometimes you have to be multifaceted the double conscious in, in, in one body. Double conscious, right? Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Just imagine if from a physiological standpoint, when you mm-hmm. talk about the, the secretions and responses, yeah. when you have to have multiple identities to, to navigate a specific space. Wow. And then what is the, the physiological and neurological responses Jeez. by doing this? And you can have traumas in all these areas yeah. in different ways. Yeah. Not that one trauma that yeah. resonates, but one in each area of mm-hmm. these lives of saying. Oh, oh, something like oh, yo, you, you, you. They said the, the comment to Grant Hill. You are, um, you are a treasure for your race. Why? Because you're doing something that the rest of them can't do. Mm. It's like, is that really the accurate? It's tokenism. Portrayal? It's tokenism one on one. And you know, how do you experience that? Like, how would yeah. you talk about that if you had the experience of in talking about you can't usher other folks in with you? I think. So in, in 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 my my form in my my earlier years, yeah, in my earlier years, um, I tried to blend in. In my latter years, I'm okay with standing out. I'm okay with opening doors. I'm okay with not being a gatekeeper or a gate opener, right? To people, so so that folks, our folks, right, can show up as their authentic selves, right? I'm okay with saying it's it's a travesty when you have a fundraiser for people that can't even afford to be in the room of the fundraiser that you're creating it for, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so I've learned to, to do that. Shout out to uh, one of my, someone I consider a, a, a guiding force and a, a spark like um, Ife Michelle Gardin, who is herself authentically in every space she steps in. And I've been able to bring that with me now, be my authentic self and open doors for folks so they can be their authentic selves. Especially black men. My honest phenomenon, yeah. Yes, she is. Especially in the Arts Council. So I I, I think as we're coming into a close right now, I think it becomes important for you to highlight maybe 
the work that you've seen, obviously Jay Barnett, but the work that is being done um, throughout the space or just literature for folks to read about considering these different opportunities. I know that there's some new things coming up. We left in the conference that yeah. we brought back with us. Yeah. Um, and just kind of give, give, give that some light. So, yeah. So I would say there, there are definitely some resources to, 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 to check out that we become available to them. Um, definitely check out the Just Heal on tour. I believe it's www.justhealbro.co, right? And there's also the .com. Check it, check it out. It is going across the country, uh, stopping in different cities and states. Um, go to Amazon, order Jay, Jay Barnett's book, Just Heal Bro, A Guide and uh, uh, to Black Male Mental Health and Healing. Um, it literally is a, a, a guide with activities um, and experiences to partake in to, to facilitate the process of healing. Um, definitely, of course, Jason Wilson's book, Cry Like a Man, um, to create a, more, a better understanding of the emotional fluency it takes to interact with Black men. You know, and stay locked in the Black enterprise, man, for these upcoming seminars, conferences that really allow us not to have to flatten our Blackness because of class. Can go. You know, um, and, and yeah, I think that's what really resonates with me. And again, shout out to the individuals that helped me be my authentic self in, um, in these spaces. So, so I'll add to that. So I want to make sure that I'm, we started the conversation about mental health. So please um, check these names: uh, Wilson Muhammad, uh, uh, Aaron Muller, mm -hmm. um, Chris A. Matthews. Chris a. Matthews yeah. um, please read the ISIS papers: Francis Chris Welsing, yeah. Wilson Muhammad, uh, demystifying Tommy Curry. Um, continue to support the programs that are in place in the, in the city. Um, there are some youth ministries that are here that are looking for younger voices that need older mentors. So mm -hmm. continue to do those specific things. Mm -hmm. um, as we kind of close out right now, I want to give you an opportunity, obviously the work that you're doing um, and also um, your social media handles so that people know where to find you and the work that you're doing. Find me on www.frankebrady.com, Frank, the letter E, Brady.com. Find me on at Instagram, at Frank E. Brady, those are my two main sources. You can find me on LinkedIn, Frankie Brady. Frankie Brady across everything. And if you're looking for me, just contact Frank. Pretty much. And with that, we appreciate the time. Tom, hope we did a great job for you today. Please, everyone stay strong, stay well, um, and enjoy the next couple of days. Yeah. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition. Looking at the part in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Hate this work because they ain't ready for your final version. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. Yeah. Cause this is my road. Camera action, I'm ready to go.